0: I am not Mark Weibel, who was our speaker for today. Uh, Mark has COVID for the second time, and uh, he's going to live and not die. He's going to pull through this, but please do cover him in prayer. Quite a few of our people are ill, as Reuben said, and everybody that you might miss someone, so we're not naming them, but. Please pray for everybody that you see missing, people that you know that are not well. So Mark was going to lead us in the second half of Psalm 31, and um, what I'm going to do is teach out of Psalm 37. So if you'll turn to Psalm 37, please. I want to uh, recognize Wanda Simon, who's with us today. Wanda, good to see you. We've already announced the services for your husband this coming Friday. Love you guys. Psalm 37. So this is a fairly familiar psalm. I'm sorry you didn't get a chance to read it in advance, but uh, we're going to go through many of these verses. Uh, Would you just pray with me? Lay your hand on the word of God. Lord, we declare that we believe your word. We have staked our lives on your word. And we receive your word today humbly. We ask that you would implant it deep into our hearts. You would engraft it into our lives. That we would be changed because of the ministry of your word today. We sit under it. We sit under you. We sit under your word that you have magnified upon your name. So Lord, both in here and every ABF and in every gathering today, we pray your word in Jesus forth with power power. anointing and would accomplish what you send it to do. In Jesus' name, amen. So Psalm 37 is an acrostic psalm. Each pair of lines begins with consecutive letters of the Hebrew alphabet. So if you don't read Hebrew, you wouldn't know that, but it, it just shows us really how intelligent David was. These psalms that he wrote, he even wrote acrostic psalms with Hebrew alphabet letters coming down. It's very interesting. This psalm also is written to men. It's not written to God. Most of the psalms seem to be written to God. They are prayers, their cries, their pleas. This one is a psalm to men. It contrasts the lifestyle of the wicked with the righteous. The overall picture of this psalm is that the wicked will be punished and the righteous will be rewarded. So I want to say that again. The overall picture of this psalm is that the wicked will be punished and the righteous will be rewarded. So let's start by reading some verses about the terrible future of the wicked. This will encourage us not to go that route and also to share the love of Jesus and the gospel with everyone we can so that they don't suffer this future either. So Psalm 37, 1 and 2. Says, do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Verses 9 and 10 evildoers shall be cut off, that means destroyed. But those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you will look diligently for his place, but it shall be no more verse 12 the lord la uh, i'm sorry verse 12 the wicked plots against the just and gnashes at him with his teeth the lord laughs at him for he sees that his day is coming the wicked have drawn the sword and bent their bow to cast down the poor and needy to slay those who are, are of upright conduct their sword shall enter their own heart and their bow shall be broken A little that the righteous man has is better than the riches of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. And then let's look at verse 20. The wicked shall perish, and the enemies of the Lord, like the splendor of the meadows, shall vanish. Into smoke they shall vanish away. And then verse 38. The transgressors shall be destroyed together. The future of the wicked shall be cut off or destroyed. Now let's go to verse 3. We're going to look at uh, some details about the next few verses. Verse 3, he says, So trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. There are eight times that the phrase, Dwell in the land or inherit the land is used in Psalm 37. And this is telling, according to David, and in this season, David was writing to righteous Jews, and he was saying to them that they would inherit the land of promise, Israel. And in that place of inheritance, they would feed on the faithfulness of God. Now, God is just as faithful to us in the, in the new covenant, And we are also to trust in him, do good, and be nourished by his faithfulness. So that's a word to us today. We're going to trust in him at all times, like we just sang. We're going to do good, and we're going to be nourished. We're going to feed on his faithfulness because he is always faithful. Verse 4 says, Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. So this does not mean that if we delight in the Lord, he will give us everything we want and everything we pray for. What this means is as we delight in him, as we love him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, as we enjoy his presence, he will be putting in our hearts his desires, We will be aligning our hearts with his hearts and he will release his desires, his plans, his purposes into our hearts. And as we pray those back to him in a co-laboring intercessory role with the king of kings, then he will birth those desires into reality. He will give us the desires of of our hearts. So he first gives them to us and then he provides them, he fulfills them. Makes a lot more sense than praying for a Corvette, doesn't it? (laughs) So we're praying his will as he births his will in our hearts, as we delight in his presence. Verse 5 through 7 says, commit your way to the Lord. Now that word commit means to roll off onto the Lord. Just roll it off. It's a picture of a camel in the sand rolling over and the, the pack that he's carrying just falls off. So we roll off our burdens on the Lord. We commit our lives to the Lord. We roll off everything that concerns us to the Lord. We trust in him, verse 5, he will bring it to pass. That means he will accomplish what he purposes for our lives. Verse 6, he shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. So verse 5, he says, If we will roll off, if we'll commit our ways to the Lord, entrusting to him everything, our health, our future, our families, our possessions, our jobs... The things we love, the things we care about, we roll off everything to the Lord. We trust in him. He will accomplish his will for our lives, and he will bring forth our justice, our righteousness as the noonday. That means as bright as the sun is, as it comes up at noon, that is how clearly people will see his righteousness and his justice in our lives. What a great promise that is. There's also often a period of time where we rest and wait patiently for the fulfillment of those promises. And that's what verse 7 indicates. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. He will work out what is best for us if we will just trust in him and wait. We can trust that because God loves us, he wants what is best for us. Because he's wise, all wisdom, he knows what is best for us. And because he is sovereign, he has the ability, the power to bring it about. Isn't that good? We can rest in him. We can trust in him with our lives. All right, now we're going to consider some verses about the righteous just in general. Let's read verse 18. The Lord knows the days of the upright. Now, that word knows is a Hebrew word, "yada," and it means to know intimately, very familiar with. So the Lord is intimately aware of all of our days, and their inheritance shall be forever now the inheritance of the jewish people was the promised land israel it's a terrestrial kingdom that he promised to the jewish people to the second covenant people to us he promises a celestial kingdom and our inheritance will be forever verses 23 through 29 the steps of a good man are ordered by the lord and he the lord delights in his way Though he falls, he shall not be utterly cast down. He won't stay down because the Lord upholds him with his hand. I've been young and now I'm old, yet I've not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his descendants begging bread. He is ever merciful in lens, and his descendants are blessed. Depart from evil and do good. Dwell Forevermore, for the Lord loves justice and does not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the descendants of the wicked shall be cut off. Verse 29, the righteous shall inherit the land and dwell in it forever. Verse 37, mark the blameless man and observe the upright, For the future of that man is peace. In verse 40, the Lord shall help them and deliver them. He shall deliver them from the wicked and save them because they trust in him. So I want to talk a little bit about trusting the Lord because there's a lot of promises in Scripture that is conditional on our trust in the Lord. You've probably heard the story of the man that was climbing a mountain Steep side of the mountain, he slipped, he was dangling at the end of his rope, and it was over a a deep valley, and he, he looked down, far down below, he looked up, he didn't know if anyone that could help him, he was climbing by himself, and in desperation, he called out for help. Is anyone there? Can anyone hear me? Help! And he heard a voice, a deep voice say to him, yes, I am here, I'll help you just do what I say. And he said, God, is that you? And the voice said, yes, and I'm ready to help you. Let go of the rope. The man said, let go of the rope. And the voice said, yes, let go and I'll catch you. The man thought for a few seconds and then he said, is there anyone else up there who can help me? You know sometimes we're like that. We we say we trust trust in the Lord, but when we're in the midst of a tragedy or a crisis, do we still trust in him? Are we willing to let go of the rope and abandon ourselves to his care? Turn with me to Psalm 131. Psalm 131. also a psalm of david he says lord my heart is not haughty it's not proud nor my eyes lofty or arrogant neither do i concern myself with great matters nor with things too profound for me surely i have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with his mother like a weaned child is my soul within me O israel hope in the lord from this time forth and forever. So David was saying, like a weaned child, no longer cries and frets and demands to be fed, but is content with his mother. So my soul is weaned from discontent, fear, and fretting, and is hoping and waiting on God. That's where the Lord wants each one of us to be resting quietly with perfect trust, whatever our circumstances, or to be childlike in trusting our Father, like Reuben mentioned last week. But often we don't trust God like that, do we? We wonder whether God can be trusted in each of our situations. The problem is we form our understanding of God and His ways from what we see and experience in life, not only from what the Word reveals about Him. We gather information from what we see and experience, from our education, our cultures, our childhood experiences, from what people say, from what we read. We put all that together and we form a concept about God. And what we believe about him directly influences our trust in him. Most of all, us would say we trust the Lord, but we don't have an overall trust in him. We have a selective faith. We might trust him to meet our financial needs, but not to guide our big decisions. We might trust him for healing, but not for the grace to endure suffering with joy. We might trust him to protect us, but maybe we don't trust him to protect our family members and keep them safe. We believe God is who we think he is rather than trust him to be who he reveals himself to be in the written word of God. We form an image of God, and we trust him within that image. Knowing God is our highest calling and our greatest need. It's our highest calling. It's our greatest need. What we know of him, a little or much, is all that we have to hang on to when life's difficulties and tragedies throw us a curve. It's all that energizes us and strengthens us as we face difficult times. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John 4. Knowing God isn't an option for us, it's a necessity. First John 4, 16 through 18, John says, We've known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. So, when we really know and believe the Father's love for us, we won't fear trusting Him. It's not that life is easy, it's not that we don't have any problems. It's that we know our loving Father is in control of all that concerns us. We are His responsibility. We have peace in our trials because He gives us victory over anxiety and insecurity. We are so confident of God's love that regardless of the battle, we know His charge over us is motivated and energized by that steadfast love, and we, we rest in that. So we fight fear by rebuking it, as you know, when we're tempted to be afraid, be anxious, fearful, we resist that in the name of Jesus. We rebuke fear in Jesus' name and we quote the word of God against it. We also fight fear by rising in our praise. Tihila is a form of praise. It's called the high praises of God. And it's praising him in faith that he hears and that he's going to respond. So that's another tool we have when fear comes against us. You know, we're in a pandemic of fear all over the world now. So when fear threatens us, we need to rise in our praise because our faith will rise according to our praises. It rises to the level of our praise so we sing praises we speak praises we read scriptural praises we see so many of them in Psalms and that throws off fear but that's those aren't the only two things we can do resist fear stand on the word rise in our own faith-filled praise we also overcome fear by knowing God's love for us and being certain of his trustworthiness, because his love perfected in us creates a shield that fear cannot penetrate. So that's what we want. We want to be perfected in love, as he says in verse 18, so that there's a shield around us that fear just can't penetrate at all. We rise above that. Knowing Jesus does not spare us from suffering, disappointment, disease or grief, but it does give us hope in our darkest moments. It does give us comfort in our grief and a sense of purpose in our confusing times. God will use our trials to draw us closer to himself, to open our eyes to see him more clearly and to transform us more into his image. It's easy to trust God when everything's going well. It's a lot harder when your grandchildren are sick, When trials overwhelm you, when loved ones that you have prayed for fervently die and you did not expect them to die, those are the harder times to trust the Lord. When there's no resolution to our pain, do we trust him? Like the song that we just sang, I will trust the Lord at all times. Trusting God does not mean that we don't experience pain Or trials. It means that we are, we fully believe that God is at work through our pain for our ultimate good. It means that we choose to abandon our lives into His care in all areas. And if He gives us a pleasant cup to drink, then we drink it with grace. And if He gives us a bitter cup to drink, then we drink it in communion with Him. We allow our trials to press us closer to Him not to distance us from him. It's during our times of of suffering that we come to know the Lord in deeper measures. We've all found this to be so, haven't we? Job found that to be so. He thought he knew the Lord, but it was only after 40 chapters of intense suffering when he lost everything that was precious to him that he said in Job 42 verse 5 I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear but now my eye sees you. Job saw the Lord much more clearly after his season of intense suffering and we know in the book of Job chapters 1 and 2 that the devil cannot touch us without God's permission, and even then God will work through his schemes to accomplish good for us. What Satan tends to destroy us and tear us down, God will use to build us up and mature us. God works through our troubles to make sure they benefit our souls and draw us closer to him. As far as we know, God never explained himself to Job. You ever wondered about that? It's never written in Job that Job ever understood why he had to lose all ten children and all of his wealth. God never explained himself to Job. Many of our trials will never be resolved. We may always have unanswered questions. There are things that are revealed and they belong to us, and there are things that are not revealed and they belong to God. And we trust him in the midst of that. It's in the furnace of affliction that God does reveal himself to us, and that's what he did reveal to Job. He revealed himself to Job, and that was enough. And if we know him, it's enough. He doesn't have to explain himself why things happen to us the way they do. We always see God better through the eyes of suffering than we do through the eyes of prosperity. We need to be free from the need to understand what God's doing before we place our confidence in him. Knowing and trusting Jesus can coexist with pain, broken hearts, shattered lives. There's a depth of fellowship that comes with the Lord that will only come through suffering. We can't get it any other way. God wants us to see him and know him in all that we go through. He wants us to trust him in the hard times just as we do in the easy times. Charles Spurgeon, a very noted theologian, author, preacher, he wrote this. It's the duty of the creature to trust the creator. God has a claim upon his creature's faith. He deserves to be trusted. And to place our reliance upon another such as upon ourselves, rather than upon himself, is a direct insult to his faithfulness. He deserves to be trusted. Let's go to Psalm chapter 9. Psalm 9. We'll read verses 8 through 10. He shall judge the world in righteousness. He shall administer judgment for the peoples in uprightness. The Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. And those who know your name will put their trust in you. For you, Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Those who know your name, it's the Hebrew word shem, and it means reputation, character, nature person those who know who you really are those who know how good you are those who know your reputation those who know you're trustworthy they will put their trust in you they'll be confident in you because you will never abandon those who seek you so we grow in our knowledge of God by knowing the word of God and I want to encourage you study the scriptures get to know the word of God—that is our greatest need. That is our highest calling. Uh, flip over with me to Jeremiah nine. And while you're turning there, I, I want to make a couple of more comments on um, out of Psalm nine. We know the Lord through his word. We also know him through walking through life with him. It's as We get to know him intimately as we go through difficult times, personal hardship. We find that God really is a refuge for us, that we really can trust him. And instead of just having a head knowledge about God's faithfulness because we've read it, We have experienced it, so we don't look forward in faith. This is who he is. I will put my trust in him. We look back and we say, God has been worthy of my trust. He's proven himself to me. I have a testimony of God's faithfulness. So now in Jeremiah 9, verse 24, no, let's start in verse 23. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Nor let the rich man glory in his riches, but let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me. That is our glory, that we understand and know him. Then he says that I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness, judgment or justice, and righteousness in the earth, for in these I delight, says the Lord. That's what we can glory in is in knowing Him. And then let's go back to Psalm 37 and we'll conclude Psalm 37, verse 3 Trust in the Lord and do good, delight yourself in him verse 4 back to verse 3 dwell in the land feed on his faithfulness back to verse 4 he will give you the desires of your heart verse 5 commit your way to the Lord trust also in him and he will bring it to pass he will accomplish what he has put in your heart from his heart Verses 39 and 40. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their strength in the time of trouble. The Lord shall help them and deliver them. He shall deliver them from the wicked and save them because they trust in him. So we can trust the Lord in every area of our lives knowing that he is faithful. Dennis Jernigan wrote a song years ago that starts out, I trust in you. Like a child his father, Lord, I trust in you. With my heart, I trust in you. I want to pray. I want to lead out in praying a prayer of confession and repentance for our fear, that we've allowed fear to get a stronghold in our lives. We've given place to fear. They say 365 times in Scripture we're told not to fear, not to be afraid. So we're commanded not to fear. When we give in to fear or anxiety or worry, we are in sin. We need to confess that as sin and repent of it. We need to confess as sin unbelief. We don't believe God really loves us. We don't believe he knows what's best for our lives. We don't believe we can trust him. We think we know best. That is unbelief. And we need to confess that, too, before him and repent of that. And then we want to say again, Lord, we trust you. We believe in you. We stake our lives on you and on your word. So let's pray. Father, we come before you as your children. Grateful to be adopted by you. So grateful for the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from all sin. And so, Lord, we confess to you today our fear. Lord, we've given into fear. It's been all around us. The more we hear the news, the more we battle fear. And so, Lord, today we confess the sin of fear and worry and anxiety And we ask you, would you please forgive us and would you cleanse us from that? Would you wash all fear out of our souls, out of our spirits, even off of our bodies in the name of Jesus? And the effect of fear and worry on our bodies. Lord, would you heal our bodies even as you forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness? Lord, would you also forgive us for unbelief? We confess that before you today is sin. We have not stood firmly on the word of God. We have not stood firmly in faith. We've caved in. We've doubted. We've questioned. Lord, today we confess that is sin. And we repent. We turn away from our own way of thinking. Our judgment upon you. And we ask you, would you forgive us? Would you cleanse us from that with your blood, Jesus? Would you wash our minds, our thoughts, our memories, the questioning parts of our minds? Would you cleanse that with the blood of Jesus today? And would you set us on the path of the righteous again? The righteous will trust in the Lord. And so we say, Lord, by faith, we will trust in you. We will believe what your word says about you. That will be our rule book. Lord, that is what we glory in, that we know and understand you. And that's what we want. We want to know you better. We want to understand you more. So, Lord, we recommit our lives to you today, that we will stand tall in trust, that you'll look down upon us to see children in whom you're well-pleased. And pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we have about 10 minutes, and I want to ask, could you pray around your tables for one another, whatever you want to share, something you're struggling with? Maybe you want to confess some area of sin that ties in with today, or maybe there's someone that's really strong on your heart that you know you need to pray for, for healing, for whatever. So could you just pray with one another for about 10 minutes?